The Enneacast is sponsored in part by Your Enneagram Coach. Did you know that you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transformed right from the comfort of your own home while also making an excellent income? Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com BEC. I felt like a little kid with his nose against the glass looking into the candy store. There's other kids in there. They're having a good time, enjoying playing and eating candy. And I'm out here and can't get in. And what I found is if I'm more generous with myself, it opens the door. I can get in. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else from Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. So this season's all about story. And today, we're going to move into the head triad by looking at the story of Type 5, commonly known as... The Investigator. Or the wise person. All of our type episodes will be expounding on the content found in our workbook, Mapping Your Enneagram Story. So if you haven't yet listened to episode one of this season that walks you through this workbook and how to use it, I encourage you to do that first. Right. And to get a copy of the Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, head over to mappingyourstory.com. You can listen to the season without it, but it's going to really make the content come alive. It's going to make it personalized for you in a way that only listening just won't be able to. So to pick that up, head over to mappingyourstory.com. Okay, before we dive in, let's do a quick refresher. So type five, when they're healthy, they are reflective. They're good listeners. They're often scholarly, they're perceptive, they're witty, and they're really great at analyzing data. And when they're unhealthy, they tend to become overly detached. They fear their feelings. They're known to hoard. They can have few or no close friends, and they can also be reclusive. So this season, we're looking at how the Enneagram plus life story equals clarity. We really need both components to get the full picture. So let's explore the story for Type 5. So Sam... Where does the story for type five start? Well, it starts in childhood. And for the five, they have a childhood theme of either being engulfed or neglected. So, Jesse, what are some of examples of how this theme might kind of play out for a story and the five? Yeah, so there are some fives that will talk about scenarios in which they might have had a parent who was very domineering or they felt mm-hmm. overwhelmed by their parent or they felt overwhelmed by the the demand and the needs of their household. And that could be emotional needs or physical needs or it could just be someone who had maybe a domineering presence. And so the five might have retreated away from that person into a world that just felt a little more safe. It's also possible that they grew up in a world where their needs did not feel readily cared for on a consistent basis. So it could have been that they might have had an emotional need or a relational need or a physical need. But in some way, they they either might have felt engulfed by the people around them or they might have felt neglected by the people that they thought they should have been able to depend on. Yeah, I know we talk about how fives tend to retreat inward 
and rely on themselves and kind of become overly independent. And so I think that they eventually make the decision to rely on themselves for their own needs and to hoard and to, to kind of stow away what they know and what they have. Yeah. So if you have a copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, look through the life turns that you mapped. And take note if you see this theme of neglect or being engulfed appear in any of the life turns that you mapped. And so growing up with this theme leads the child five to believe an unconscious message, which it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. Yeah, because the basic idea is this, is that fives live with a sense of that there there are finite resources in the world. And childhood of five comes to experience this belief if I just let things ride, in other words, I just let things unfold in their own time, in their own way, and I don't think ahead and I don't plan or I don't have the information that I need, that bad things are going to come my way. Like if I get too complacent, then things are going to get dangerous. Either somebody's going to steamroll me and overwhelm me or somebody's not going to take care of me. But in either case, if I get too comfortable and if I'm not ever vigilant and making sure that I've got what I need, I'm going to be left behind. And I'm not going to be taken care of. So they come to believe this message that it's not okay to be comfortable in the world, which leads them to desire something good, which is to be competent. You know, it's it's showing that we can be trusted. It's showing that that we know kind of what we're talking about. It's to be able to look at something and to be able to put the pieces together. Competency is a is a good thing. Competency is a crucial stage in terms of our psychosocial development, like Erickson's stages of development. Like that's one of them is competency, the ability to put your hands on something and to be really good at it. So here's it. OK, so all of that stuff happens in early childhood. But this backstory comes together and it sets the stage for the nurturing of our false self. And this really starts when the five begins to settle. We're all prone to settle for substitutes. And for the five, what they want is they want to be competent. But what they end up settling for is knowing it all. And the difference between those two things is that competency is I have a few areas of life that I can apply myself to and that I can develop and nurture and become better at as time goes on. Knowing it all comes out of a place of fear and the sense of, of almost a greed, like I need to know more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And so as to where competency can really be centered around, I want to be really good in these areas in order to serve other people and to provide for those that I love. Knowing it all can really come from a place of just self-preservation. I have to know it all because I can't depend and trust on anybody else. Yeah, there's a sense of humility that comes with competency, but that's not as present in the know-it-all yeah. kind of posture. But here's the deal. Knowing it all promises the five two things. It promises them omniscience of having all the knowledge in the world. It says, you know, come and worship me and I will give you all the knowledge you need to be the wisest, smartest person in every room that you walk into. But it also promises them independence. Come and worship me and... I won't even make you rely on anybody else. You don't need another person in this world because I'm going to give you all the knowledge that you need. And this is really attractive for the five. And because the five begins to believe that knowing it all will give them what they want, you know, this knowledge, it becomes an idol. So the five will easily devote themselves to gaining as much information as possible and even be willing to go to great lengths in order to gain it. And in fact, they begin to sacrifice three good things in order to please this idol of knowing it all. What are those three things? So the first thing that they sacrifice is that they have to sacrifice intimate relationships. Because if we know anything, it's as soon as you get close to somebody else, you quickly realize, I do not know it all. People are confusing. They're erratic. They're hard to predict. And the other thing is that they reflect back to me that 
I am erratic, that I'm not always, you know, the most clear and thoughtful and linear in my own thinking. The second thing that they have to sacrifice is feeling known and loved because that requires showing your cards, sharing with other people. And when you're in a posture of, hey, I just need to know more and more and more information, there's a consumption attitude to that that is about, I'm going to preserve all of my own energy instead of giving it away to other people. And then third, they sacrifice being engaged in life. If the purpose of life is knowing it all, well, then all you got to do is read a bunch of books. You don't really actually need to put yourself out there. You don't really actually need to go and dance on the dance floor, or you don't need to actually go on that adventure. You can watch a movie about it, or you can read a book about it. And so there's a real temptation to exchange knowledge for engagement of life. And those those are data and engagement of life are not the same thing. Right. And so in this pursuit of knowing it all and this cycle of sacrificing to this idol constantly, the five creates perfect conditions to grow their deadly sin. And for fives, their deadly sin is greed. And when we talk about greed, a lot of times we picture this guy with like money bags, you know, and he's just yeah, like yeah. greedy. He wants everything, you know, he wants all this money, but we're not really talking about financial greed, although that is a factor, I would yeah. say. Um, but we're mostly talking about emotional greed and relational yeah, emotional greed. greed, energy greed, Yeah, you know, like I'm very finite and I'm not going to spend it on anything that I don't have to spend it on. Right. And so here's how the five grows their greed in pursuit of knowing it all. The first thing is the idea of enough is never enough, whether that's another piece of their collection or another, you know, safety measure that they're taking another can for their stowaway pantry, you know, whatever it might be. Or I need an hour and a half alone and then the hour and a half comes and it's, well, no, I need four hours alone. Right. Or I'm going to have $10,000 in my bank account. No, no, I need $20,000 in my bank account. And then the next one is hoarding and withholding. Again, here, this is um, both material and, you know, relational or energy greed. They're afraid of not being enough in relationships. You know, we talk about this, but fives kind of believe they have a finite energy tank. And so they believe that they don't have enough of what the world is asking of them. And so finally, they withdraw from relationships as kind of a result of these three things. Yeah. And it's a, it's the fear, you know, that's driving them. And, and you know, it cultivates greed. Right. So again, if you have mapping your Enneagram story, take a look at your emotional map and notice some of your dominant emotions. And I know that there are probably some fives listening going like, I don't feel much, you know, (laughs) because that's one of the areas that fives can struggle with is emotional expression. But actually, fives are deeply emotional people. They're often just it's so buried under some other stuff. So so take a look. You know, can you see greed attached to any of these? And if you're like, well, I don't really have any greed. I would encourage you to do some work because often our greed is growing unnoticed. And that's because sin is adaptable. It learns how to defend itself. And the five's defense of their sin is through their psychological defense mechanism known as isolation. And isolation is about detaching from feelings and other people. It's the ability to compartmentalize in order to remain comfortable. And this isolation will actually leave the five feeling more alone than they truly are. So it compounds the problem further and makes, you know, a mild case of isolation into more severe cases of isolation. Even if other people are reaching out to them, it, it, the five will feel like no one is ever close enough to satisfy. And that's why it's called a deadly sin, because greed, it's destructive and it tries to disguise itself as a good thing or a helpful thing, which, you know, the five might believe oh, I'm just, you know, taking time for myself or I'm just saving up for my family or I'm just trying to provide. But greed is is deadly. And so the inner mantra of the five ends up being the unrelenting needs of life justify my greed. 
So, Sam, where does this leave the five? Well, it leaves them feeling greedy, <laughs> um, but it also leaves them feeling afraid and, and lonely. You know, I think, you know, they're in the head triad, so they struggle with fear. And then the loneliness comes from their ability to detach and withdraw from relationships. So what started as a good desire to be competent has now become just destroyed. Okay, so that's like all Debbie Downer stuff. Like, yeah. I'm sure the listeners are like, oh, thanks. Are we done? Yeah, like, <laughs> you've just destroyed my self-esteem. Uh, but the good news is this, is that God doesn't leave us here. You know, for every person, there's a moment in our story when we encounter Jesus. And in Jesus, here's what we see. In Jesus, we see the true investigator. We see the true wise person. Sam, tell me about some of these traits of the wise person that we see in Jesus. Yeah, I think we see it in his ability to distance himself, you know, from the crowds or even from his disciples at times. We see it in his sobriety and his wisdom. You know, anytime he's correcting the Pharisees or anytime he's very sober minded about sin, I think that he's very, you know, taking a kind of an objective approach. And those are just some of the examples that I have of where we see Jesus kind of showing these traits of the wise person. Well, in order for anyone to gain our trust, they have to give us two things. They have to empathize with our wounds, and they have to show us their authority. And Jesus gives us both these things. And so fives, here's how Jesus empathizes with your wounds. Jesus was engulfed by the needs of the world who wanted everything from him. Jesus knows what it is to have the weight of the world placed on his shoulders, to have everybody demand more and more from him, to want to take up all the space in his life. He knows what that burden is like. Jesus shows us his authority and he affirms our true self. In Matthew 7, we see that the, the crowds were astonished by his teaching. So he's he's wise. He's, he's showing that it's good to be wise and good to be competent and good to teach. But he also confronts the false self. His solitude always prepared him for radical service for others. I love that. I love like that he would withdraw, but it was like it was almost like he withdrew and it refilled his tanks, you know, and then mm -hmm. he was like, I'm going to go spend my fuel on other people and loving other people. It was never for the sake of withdrawal, which I think fives can sometimes withdraw for the sake of withdrawal. Yeah. Withdrawal and retreat is a good thing, you know, but hopefully it always leads somewhere. So the question, I guess, is just this, you know, it's like, how did Jesus do this? How is it that Jesus could uphold love of knowledge? He could uphold wisdom. He could uphold even the ability to stand outside of, you know, conversation and have objectivity. How could he do all of that but not succumb to greed? And I believe the way that he did that is because he believed the father who told him, your needs are not a problem. And because he believed that, it allowed him to go, my needs are not a problem. I can bring my needs to God. He's going to take care of me in his perfect timing. And so fives, what is it that Jesus tells you? He tells you your needs are not a problem. Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And out of believing this message Jesus speaks to us, our true self begins to emerge. The Holy Spirit is able to work into the five what they originally wanted, to be competent. And one of the ways he often does this is through the virtue of generosity. And here we're talking about especially emotional generosity. And so the, the invitation is to cultivate true wisdom, not through detachment and reflection, but by living out your life experiences wholeheartedly. Yeah, and instead of growing the deadly sin of greed, the virtue of generosity cultivates this other fruit instead, and that's the fruit of community. 
the five finally gets to feel the relational connection that they that they long for to have friendships that are meaningful and purposeful and to, and to feel like they're part of a bigger picture again refer to your mapping your enneagram story timeline here do you see generosity growing through any of your life turns it's okay if you don't you know virtues they take time to grow and so ask the holy spirit to help grow generosity in you and if you do see it well praise god he's making you more complete in him and as the five continues to walk with God and be transformed, instead of reflecting a greedy and reclusive spirit, their true self starts to reflect God's character. And here's what they reflect back to the world about God. They reflect God's wisdom and truth. And this story isn't just an invitation for fives. There is an invitation for all of us here, and that is to observe yourself and others without judgment or expectations. Okay, so that is the Enneagram story for type fives. When we come back... We're really excited about this one, actually. We will be talking with... Crosspoint Ministry himself. <laughs> yeah. Jim Cofield, who trained Sam and I in the Enneagram. I don't know if we're allowed to be more excited for an interview than <laughs> others, but this one tops the list. Yeah. So... Uh, stay with us. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults. Like Cassidy Liu from California. This internship as a multicultural worship intern really allowed me to see God's heart in music and the arts, and serving with LTN taught me what it means to serve and represent all of God's people through worship. LTN not only allowed me to explore what a professional career in music could look like, but it also introduced me to friends and mentors that have had a deep impact in my life and walk with God. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Jim Cofield. Jim was a church planter and a pastor before coming on staff with Crosspoint Ministry. Uh, he's been at Crosspoint since 2007, providing guidance and life coaching for pastors and those in leadership. Uh, Jim is particularly important to Sam and I because Jim actually trained us in the Enneagram. That's right. Uh, so what we know... Jim is responsible Blame for it. Blame it on me. Blame yeah. it on me. That's, That's right. <laughs> it's so, uh, for better or for worse. <laughs> so Jim, Jim's a Jim's a dear friend and someone that we just we really admire and who's meant a great deal to us personally through the years. And so uh, we're really excited to have him. Oh, and he is a five on the Enneagram. That's right. Uh, so Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse and Sam. So Jim, I guess let's start here. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself and what role the Enneagram plays in your work and in your life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm 65 now, and most of my work life was in uh, vocational ministry as a pastor. did some teaching in college and seminary, but most of my life has been in the pastorate, and I really enjoy that. And now I enjoy helping pastors. I love to pastor pastors and those working and serving in church. And I can tell you right up front, the Enneagram plays a very key role. It just, it gives us an insight, gives me an insight into how a person sees themselves. And that's very important because how you see yourself, you're going to be acting out of that self-understanding. So I want to know where you see yourself strong, where you, where you see some challenges. And the Enneagram really helps me on that. I remember when um, I remember when you trained us. You said that the the enneagram saves you about six months of coaching because usually the first six months is guesswork and listening to you know odds and ends, and you're trying to put a picture together. But the enneagram just moves that picture forward so so much more rapidly. 
Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, we're talking about the Enneagram in terms of your professional kind of context, but I would love to hear more about your own personal story with the Enneagram. So did you immediately resonate with type five the first time you heard about, you know, that description? That's a great question. I, I was introduced to the Enneagram way back, way back, uh, well, literally, <laughs> probably close to 20 years ago. It just wasn't a popular thing back then. And um, it turned out that I landed on five, but because I'm a five, I had to go through every style to make sure that was not it. And I resonated <laughs> some with the one. I resonated some with, with most of them. But um, what the Enneagram did in the descriptions, it really gave me words. It gave me nomenclature. It gave me descriptions of what I was sensing in myself. It just, it just really helped me to say, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what I've been noticing. That's what I've been if I can dare say it as a five, that's what I've been feeling. So um, that's, uh, it's just been a real help to me personally. Well, Jim, if it's okay, I, I want to ask about childhood wounds. You know, many fives describe a theme of being engulfed or neglected in their childhood. You know, looking back, does that feel true for you? And if so, in what way? I'd, I would not say that my experience is the typical neglect. I had parents that loved me deeply and dearly. We had lots of camping times. We were missionaries in Canada, went fishing with fam as family. We just, I have a lot of good experiences there. But I remember when I was trying to work through some things early uh, a number of years ago, and I told my therapist just offhand that my mom, yeah, my mom was really sick right after I was born. And in fact, uh, my mom had lost her firstborn child at six months through doctor neglect. And I think she was kind of scared because I was a month overdue and 10 pounds, six ounces. And then as soon as I was born, she got very sick and couldn't take care of me. And I had to go to my aunt who took care of me for six, seven months. And then I came back. Yeah, I was just kind of giving some information and the therapist stopped me in my tracks and said, oh, we got to talk about this. Because... I think now, looking back and knowing what I know about uh, attachment, I think that experience, it, it kind of turbocharged my fiveness of making me really gun-shy around trusting that others could be there and others could hold me and others could handle my emotional world. And um, people would say, why? Because um, I was one place and then another place and then another place or coming back to a place and it just wasn't steady real early. I've heard you talk before about this idea that a lot of our attachment, that, that begins before memories come online. Is part of what you're saying is that even in your story, you, you really think that a lot of that, a lot of your attachment style began to form, you know, even before memories came around. From what I know and have read, attachment, the trajectory of that is set by 18 months, 24 at the outside. Well, so I'm talking about the first seven, eight months of my life. If, if the attachment people are right, that's a big deal. Yeah. That was a very big deal. And I can, I can just almost feel it in my, in my bones. In fact, the aunt who took care of me, I preached her funeral this past November, and uh, my mom died 20 years ago. And I mourned the loss of my mom, but I even mourned, I, you know, I want to be understood here. I mourned the loss of my aunt almost more, partly because I'm older and closer to my death, and partly because I understand things more. 
and partly because that that woman meant more to me than logically I could figure out. There was something in my soul emotionally that uh, she was a wonderful woman, and it it just really got to me. So yes, I think stuff can start very early and have a big impact. Yeah. Um, we talked about fives just kind of finding their way through life through like the means of being competent, like instead of being powerful or, or vulnerable or peaceful, they kind of strive toward competency. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. I don't, I don't need to. In fact, most time I don't even want to be the person up front. I don't, I don't need to lead the parade. I just need, I just like someone to know I'm the one who put the parade together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is true. A lot of times when you and your partner, Richard Plass, when you guys are teaching together, you're in the background sort of scribbling, you know, all these notes all over dry erase boards. And, you know, you visualize the data for us in a way that we can digest. Yeah, I, I I like that role very much. So, yes, to answer your question, Sam, competence is a is a big deal for me. Uh, unfortunately, I, I drive a car in America, and so I am routinely frustrated with the incompetence of those around me. So yeah. That's a note. That's a witty note. That's good. Dry humor. That doesn't that work. Good. My, that good. I like my own material, but no one else does. So, uh, but, that, but that's another matter. Um, so one of the things that we talked earlier about is the idea that fives settle for the idol of knowing it all. You know, has that idol shown up in your life? And if so, like, what's an example of a time that you settled for that idol? Maybe it's a quest to know it all. At least in my case, it's been hard to ever think I know it all. It's all, but I'm always on a quest to know more. Yeah. And where it showed up the most in pastoral work, that idol showed up most in my sermon prep. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Because every week, I'm trying to churn out something that has real substance, that is still engaging and can help us through life. I preached for over 20 years, and I probably had a sermon done on Friday maybe 10 times in my life. It was just, it just, that idol just ground me because there was always something more to check out. Always, I got to review it. I got to retype it. Uh, Sunday morning, I'm, re, I'm editing my sermon. That wore me out. Mm, yeah, I would imagine so. There's like a there's like an excitement to it, that, you know, of doing deep dives into these different topics and learning, and that's obviously there's sort of a thrill to that. But there's also a real fatigue that would set in over mm-hmm. time, just doing relentless. That week after week. Yeah, yeah. So we talked earlier about how for the five settling for this idol of knowing it all or the quest to know it all breeds their deadly sin of greed. So what are some of the ways that you've seen greed show up in your life? One of the places greed has been a a real battle for me is greed with my emotional world. I I think of greed as holding on to what I have. And even with Joy, my wife, I just found it really hard to give away what was inside of me emotionally. It just that just felt so unsafe for me, and I don't know if that loops back to the early attachment. You know, went from mom to my aunt, and then back to mom. I just have struggled, really struggled, with sharing, with being generous with with my emotional world. I've even struggled to share, even 
you know, just conversations. I'll People will start a conversation with me, and it's kind of like, I know the answer to what you ask, but I'll hold on to it to see if you really want to know what the answer is. And I'll try to divert you. And if you if you're diverted, I I'm not going to share it with you. Mm, yeah, and that's yeah. I mean that's it's pretty sick. But um, that's how greed's shown up for me. I think one of the ways I have to watch it financially. I've tried to tried to be generous in that way, trying to keep some money in my wallet that I could just give to people along the way that I when I when I was having a good day. Let's put it yeah. that way. This is yeah. not a good day, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah, so, understood. So we won't be asking for donations yeah. uh, in this interview. Um, Jim, so one of the things that we're exploring this season is this idea that God bestows a message over each type. And the message that God bestows over the fives is your needs are not a problem. You know, for you, what part of that message resonates with you? And is there a time when that message, like you were really able to receive that and it became very apparent for you? Could I add a word to that message? Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just add this. Your emotional needs are not a problem. Say, say more about that. Because emotions need, need, need to be honored. They need to be faced. They need to be felt. And they can they can feel needy to me. It, emotions kind of present to me a need, a, a neediness. Like how how am I going to be soothed here? It's it's easy for me to think my emotional needs are a problem. A problem to be solved, or a problem like a burden. A problem to be avoided, mm-hmm. and to hear that your emotional needs are not a problem to be figured out to be uh, analyzed, but just to, uh, to be brought to the Lord and brought to others. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good message for me to, to uh, be reminded of. So thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's a good message for all of us. Thank, <laughs> thank the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Out of believing the Lord's message to you that your emotional needs aren't a problem, where have you seen generosity kind of show up as a fruit or as a result of that? I have been much more intentional in recent years of of sharing what I'm feeling and even sharing what I'm thinking about something and not being so uh, withholding and not being so, I guess, judgmental of whether a person can actually hold what I give them or process what I give them. So I've, in the past, tended to be kind of um, evaluative and saying, well, Joy can't handle, Joy, my wife, she, I don't know if she can really handle this if I tell her that. So I'm, I'm not going to do that. Or if um, my elder board, yeah, they're busy men. So we're not even going to get into this, this biblical truth in a deep way. We're just, I'm just, I'm just not going to do that. Whereas now I'm trying to be much more um, willing to share whatever I see and my conclusions and or my input at least i'm 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 willing to do that instead of be at the back of the room and just keep my mouth shut so but i have to i still have to be very intentional about that and as i said earlier i i've tried to be intentional literally of carrying money with me and just giving money away at times just to help foster more generosity of soul because when we think of generosity we often think of money so money, emotions, uh, ideas, I've, I've tried to be not so proprietary about all that. 
How have you seen your relationships grow as a result of that emotional sharing and that generosity? Like, I, I'm curious about your your marriage to Joy and just how, as you start to kind of open up, like, what are the, because the stakes feel really high, I think, for the fives that maybe are listening as you talk about sharing yourself emotionally. They're like, oh, I can never do that. You know, so what word of, you know, praise would you kind of give to, to that experience? Uh, a lot of times in the past, I felt like a little kid with his nose against the glass looking into the candy store. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot, there's there's other kids in there. They're having a good time, enjoying playing and eating candy. And I'm out here and can't get in. And what I found is, if I'm more generous with myself, it opens the door. I can I I can get in. In other words, I can experience life with others. And that's I think with Joy, she would say we are experiencing life a lot more together, not just a functional level but at, a, at an emotional level. So we feel much, much closer and we just share more. We just share more of our emotional world. And that's, that's what I would tell other fives. Work very hard to be generous with your emotional world, which means you're going to have to find out what, you know, what's there. Yeah, right. and that's, that's a challenge because we want to be very competent and have things figured out before we open our mouth. And I had to take the risk of, no, you're just going to have to, you're like learning a new language here, Jim. You're learning an emotional world language. You can't expect to have all the grammar perfect and all the vocabulary perfect in a new language. You just got to start talking, literally talking. And so I, I would encourage fives, literally start talking before you have your emotional world figured out. Work on asking yourself, what am I feeling? And honoring that, I, see, I thought feelings were far le- had far less value than facts. I valued facts far more than I valued feelings. Now I'm I'm at the point of saying, you know, feelings are telling me something that my facts don't tell me, and and that's okay. I'm not saying devalue facts. I'm just saying give feelings the honor that God intends to for them to have because they're saying something. They're saying something about life. You'll have a lot more true wisdom if your uh, pool of wisdom is not coming simply from facts, but uh, a feeling and experience world as well. Mm, that's, good. that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, Jim, thanks. Um, okay, so this has been awesome. Good, mm-hmm. thoughtful, wise conversation. I think we are due to act like idiots for a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> so when we come back, we'll be playing You've Got Problems. Stay with us. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring the story of type number five. One of the traits of these folks is that they love to communicate ideas, but they don't always love the relational baggage that comes with talking to people. Well, that has become really convenient with our modern technology. Head over to our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 29, where the gospel meets social media. Technology has shifted from being a tool to more of an appendage. This could be a social media post, a meme, a text message, an email. Whatever beeps at me, it's worth responding to. I wish that I had confronted her about social media. I think what is at stake is a core facet of Christian theology. Give up the phone itself and don't replace it for the entire semester, and I'll guarantee you an A in the class. Why not? Let's see what happens. 
You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts, or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Hey, welcome back to the IndiaCast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for You've Got Problems. Okay, so You've Got Problems is based off a real game by Jack Dyer. You can find it on Amazon or by going to jackdyer.com. A word of warning, though, if you play it, you will want to go through and censor some of the cards before you play it in mixed company. Okay, Jim, here's how you play. For each round, Sam and I are going to each present you with two perk cards. These cards have useful, just plain, wonderful things on them. Especially curated for fives. Yeah, especially curated for fives. Uh, You're going to choose which perks you would like to have in real life. However, there's a catch. Before you choose, Sam and I are each going to sabotage each other's perks with a problem. So whichever perks you choose, you will also have a problem that comes with them. And after we sabotage, you have to choose which set of perks and problem that you would go for in real life. Whoever set of perks you choose gets a point. We're going to do three rounds. Best out of three wins. Are you both ready? Yeah. I'll give it my best shot. All right. Um, so, Sam, I will let you go first. All right, Jim. My perks that I'm offering are you can read any book just by touching it. And you have a perfect memory. Oh, man, that's going to be hard. What can be better than that? I know. Okay, those perks sound fine, I guess. Here's even better. Um, You get to jump to the front of every line, and you have a 100-yard force field that blocks anyone you don't like. Huh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's tempting, Jesse, but I'm going to go oh, with hold on, Sam. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We got to sabotage. Hold yeah, on. so I have to sabotage Jesse. So while it's true that you have a force field that blocks anyone that you don't like and you get to jump in the front of every line and we're waiting, you, literally everyone thinks you're their dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anytime you see a stranger, they're going to treat you like they would their father. Even people in your own family, everyone's going to think you're their dad. It's just like going to be a mess. All right. Okay, so... Uh, so sure, Sam has offered that you have a perfect memory and you can read any book just by touching it, which sounds wonderful sounds for, awesome. for a five. But there's a problem, and the problem is that you will never have money. So money <laughs> never disappears. <again>? So <laughs> oh, does it get to keep Jesse? You're my greed. That you're touching that now. <laughs> I know it was the perfect sabotage. <laughs> it, I feel it, really proud is, of this sabotage. That is, oh, oh. So Jim, what are you gonna do? Um. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm, as a five, I'm trying to enter my feelings deeply here. Yeah, um, yeah. Tap into them. I love the level of quandary that we've created. You yeah. Agree. Well, 
when you play with the nine, it usually takes about 20 minutes because we just like can't decide. <laughs> <laughs> so similar for the five, they just have to like think about it all the I all don't the mind people thinking me as their dad because I don't care what they think anyway. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really don't need to be at the front of every line. Uh, the 100 yard force uh, field, that, that sounds appealing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Sam offered me the great perk, but um, I did never having money. Like lots of money or just zero. You have zero Does money. Does he get to keep what he has in savings? No, oh. he has, you never no money. So he no is money. living. He has to live off of generosity of other people. He is I, fully dependent. You can apply I, for things from the government. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love. I, <laughs> you you got me, Jesse. You got me. I think I got to jump into the front of every line. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Sam. Wow. Sam. I had it. I, I burned so it had down. It. All right, so I don't one even point know how to come me. back from that. Okay, okay. I have to up my sabotages. That's my problem. I've I've been too soft. You've been too soft. You see, you're nine stuff. You don't like conflict. I'm I just know. going well, for this, the jugular these are very, over here. Like these are very intense, but this one's a little softer, and I'm like leaning toward it. Good, Sam. Ladies first. Okay, Jim. Your money doubles every day, so you're welcome. And you have infinite endurance, so no more like social energy tank running low you have infinite endurance that you can choose to use or not well that's that's enticing okay um here's what i'm offering you you will never be in another socially awkward or uncomfortable situation and everything you eat becomes healthy and nutritious like the bag of cookies last night that i ate the whole bag yeah (laughs) exactly it would (laughs) have been like you ate broccoli just yeah yeah all right all right okay jim so Sure, you'll never be in another socially awkward situation and everything you eat becomes healthy and nutritious, but you are two inches tall. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it's never socially awkward because no one ever sees me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so Sam's offering, sure, your money doubles every day and you have infinite endurance, but... An immortal cricket lives inside your ear. It can never be removed. What? <laughs> We're like going for blood on this round. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Sam here, and and uh, you know, hope, hope my money can entice the cricket to leave my ear. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Especially since I have in the infinite endurance, I can endure it, the cricket. Yeah. So well, I, I guess true. that is true. I'm going with Sam here. Okay, all right. So here we go. Um, so Sam, read read through read through all your cards. Give give me your best shot on this last one. Okay, Jim, you have a time machine, and you can pull any object from your pockets as needed. A time machine. A time machine. Isn't that interesting? That's kind of cool. Yeah. And anything from his pocket? It's like a Mary Poppins bag. Yeah, in his pocket. I can pull anything. Yeah. Sandwich, <laughs> uh, a book. Can I pull money? You can pull money. You yeah. can pull money. Yeah, he gets money. He gets money. I love. Okay. I love that your first thought, Sam, was sandwich, yeah. not money. Sandwich. I had a sandwich for lunch there on my mind. Uh, you're you're any type of showing over I know, there. Sam. I know. Uh, okay, um, so those sound good. Uh, here, here's what I'm offering. You can speak any language of any species. So who cares? I guess that means like you can talk to animals, like Doctor Doolittle style. But I guess it would also mean you could speak any language to that humans, humans speak. Any yeah. language, yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, 
And in addition to that, every night you can have dinner with a different historical figure, living or dead. Wow. Yeah, but you can uh, already do that with my time machine. What'd you say? I have a time machine. He can do that with mine, too. Uh, he could. It might be a little more dangerous, you know, to go to, you know, certain, certain crazy parts, yeah. moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. Every night you can have dinner with a different historical figure, living or dead. That's Jesse's. And then also you can speak any language, but you can never learn anything new ever again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, I mean, she's she's throwing a high inside fastball there. I yeah. know. I know. Well, let's see. I've got a pretty hardcore one. Uh, so let's see which one he's going to choose. Okay, so Sam offered that you can pull any object from your pockets as needed, including a sandwich, apparently. <laughs> and uh, also, you have a time machine. The problem, though, is that you can never see anyone you know again. Oh, my. So basically, what's he have to choose? He can never learn anything new mm -hmm. or never see anybody that he cares about ever again. That's like the ultimate this quandary is, of the five. It's this like is the ultimate their quandary head of the versus five. their relationship. I sort of feel like we deserve a high five for putting Jim you, in this terrible you, scenario. Um, just to let you know, this is going to require probably about four or five months of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Get over these questions. Here. <laughs> well, I think I I can never learn anything or never see anyone. If you can never, you can learn things and think about all the new clients that you would have. If you, <laughs> you never see anybody that you know again, you can just start a new business. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, I'm that's trying brutal. to win. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I think I got to go with Jesse again, man, just oh, to, to never oh, see man. my wife, just never see my two grandsons. I know. Oh. I know. Love wins out over thought. I love that. The true healthy five. The four inside <laughs> me rejoice. So, Jesse. Sam, good game. Thank you. But uh, you won. But you lost. Yeah, I, know. I won. I always lose to you. I'm so excited. I actually won. <sighs> Whatever. Don't rub it in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good day for me. Yeah. All right. Uh, so now it's time for listener questions. Okay, so this question comes from the Messy Hair Diaries. How do fives express feelings? We say, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do I express feelings? So I don't know. That game has me so rattled that uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really struggling here. I know. It's a hard transition. <laughs> it's a hard transition. Yeah, yeah. How do fives express feelings? I put it this way. I think we do so bravely and sincerely because we're pretty resid we're not we're not just blasting things all the time. So when we do express, I think uh, others should take note because that was a pretty courageous thing to do and probably the five is really feeling something deeply to be able to express it like that. Yeah, you guys aren't flippant with anything. If yeah. you feel something, you really feel it. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that sometimes the 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 stoic nature of a five, especially when they're in thought and they're really, you know, processing a lot, can trigger the shame, you know, of folks that are more emotionally expressive. And I would just say, stay in it because that five is is you know, as Jim talked about earlier, like it just takes a while. Like let the five warm up to the moment where they may become a little bit more expressive and let you in a bit more. Emotions are not on tap. It's it's just not the same as some of the other times. Good way to say it. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, this next question is anonymous. What do you do when you're a five in relational ministry? I'm a missionary overseas, and much of my work is relational, which happens to be the most exhausting thing ever. Well, I think, first of all, you got to take care of yourself. you got to know your limits, and so you can't press like other people can press. So that means you're going to have to have time alone or time for walks, that kind of thing. I think you have to. we have to be very careful about pigeonholing and saying someone cannot show up relationally or be really engaged because they are whatever style. I think people can be. It's just that it's going to require more of you, and that means more self-care. So I would just say you can, you can do that as long as you're not trying to do it 30 hours a week. You could do it well for 15 hours probably, maybe maybe 20. But I think five, one of the things fives have going for them is even if they don't have a lot of natural empathy, their demeanor of being kind of slow to speak quick to hear, that makes people feel closer. You know, like, wow, someone's really listening to me. Listening's a big part of relationships, listening well. Not listening to get, so I can say my next thing, but listening to really understand you, because fives want to understand. So I, I really try to listen so I gain understanding, and, and that, that can help people feel uh, like I care. That's my way of caring. I think one of the good distinctions you made is that it's important that the five has enough self-awareness to know I have different uh, tools and capacities than, let's say, the Enneagram 8 that's on our team that can go out you know, and do a million projects and socialize all day and still have energy to burn at night. That that's that's not who you are. So if you're if you do a comparison of, well, I'm not doing the relational work that they are, that that's not a fair comparison. And so I think that to your point, knowing, okay, I only have so I have this finite amount amount of relational fuel that I can give away today. I want to be thoughtful. I want to make sure I do give it away. How do I give it away in in the best way? That makes um, sense. All right. Well, Jim, thanks, man. This yeah, has been great. great. Yeah, it's been fun. Like, good to catch up in this way. Thanks to our special guest today, Jim Cofield. You guys have heard us every episode since we launched this thing talk about how much we appreciate Crosspoint Ministry. And now that you've spent some time with Jim, you understand why we like these guys so much. So for more from Jim and the folks at Crosspoint, uh, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or for a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Community.